Hello, I'm Rachel Richards and welcome to Teenagers Untangled, where we combine research by experts and ideas from other parents to solve your problems. As a parenting coach, I saw the incredible power of getting people together to share ideas and support each other. So welcome, pull up a chair and let's begin. Coming up in this podcast, we discuss Emma's question. My 14-year-old is very musical, but wants to stop playing the piano now she's grade four. What should I do? To discuss this, I'm joined by Susie Asley, mindfulness coach, viola player and mum to three teenagers. Hi, Susie. Hi, Rachel. But first, we just want to thank all of our listeners. We've already had over 500 downloads since we started in mid-December. And hello to all our American, Australian and South African listeners. Now, academic motivation. Do you have a child who doesn't seem motivated in their schoolwork? Are they not very academic or is it that they're lacklustre in their approach? How do you deal with it? Susie, I have to say that I loved researching this topic. The key books that I used are in the podcast write-up and it seemed to strike a chord with lots of parents. So what's in our inbox? Yeah, it's a really fascinating topic. We have from Tracy, there is so much pressure to do well academically now in the core subjects, that we risk churning out carbon copy children, all with the same ologies. Yet in life, it's the creative abilities that are most revered, actors, artists, musicians. Another listener said that she's seen many parents over the years pay for tutoring to improve the child's grades and complaining to schools about their child not getting into a sports team when she thinks they just need to accept that their child isn't brilliant at those things. Great points. And then with Owen, he says, we live in an interesting world when it comes to education. We admire entrepreneurs and groundbreakers, but free thinking is discouraged in our education system, or at least it seems to have no place. Do you embrace their ability to think outside the box or do you coerce them to do something they can see no point in? And that's a very interesting start for our discussion, don't you think? Because whether our children see any point in something is going to make a difference. Susie, what is your experience with academic motivation? Yeah, I mean, I have three children who are very different, um, very different in academic ability and academic motivation and in their whole approach to school, to be honest. So my eldest is very science based, finds the sciences and and sort of that sort of side of things really easy and then I my other two children they have well my one of my children is is really not into science she finds that incredibly difficult and she wouldn't mind me saying that here (laughs) Um, it's just not her thing and we've had many conversations in our family about well society in general but particularly school as we're talking about school um, really put so much weight on particular types of intelligence academic intelligence that's seen as the superior and within that the superior branch of the academic is science um, logical thinking is seen as the sort of pinnacle of intelligence. Which is what Sir Ken Robinson talked about in that yes. TED Talks all those years ago that's had millions and millions yes. of hits. And he's so right. Yes, he's a fantastic TED Talk. It's amazing. <laughs> um, whereas we talk in our family a lot about that there are, I think, it's seven types of intelligence and how they are of equal value. They are of equal importance. There isn't one that's superior just because it can be measured. <laughs> it's the measuring, isn't it? Mm. Which is why the schools are going in that direction, because if it's easy to measure, then they can check the teachers are doing the job properly and those things become 
considered to be more important yes. because you can measure them. You can measure them. You can also you can measure them, and they're also they lead to maybe more exotic or exciting workplaces. You know, it's it's just seen seen as more important. You're you're be- you're a better person somehow. Whereas um, empathy, you know, emotional intelligence, the creative intelligence, the physical intelligence, um, they're just seen as lesser than. Um, so we talk about that probably my daughter will have way many job opportunities because <laughs> her emo- emotional intelligence is off the route, you know, off the charts. Um, yeah. And that ha- does seem to have sunk in and that does really help. You know, we're looking at whole children. We want, we want our children to be whole people. They're not just walking brains who are getting grades. The perspective I would look at it from is being in the workplace being a manager, having staff, which is a revelation because what I discovered was that if you try and take a member of staff and get them doing a job that they don't enjoy or they're not particularly good at, you are not going to get good results. We all know that. And every workplace is going to require a range of skills. And somehow forcing people to do things they're not particularly motivated by never works. And yet in the school environment, we are trying to get a base level across the charts of children doing well. Mm. And the children who have quite spiky profiles, so they're particularly good in one area or they're not particularly good at anything, Mm. um, are punished for that. Yeah, we focus on, so maybe a child is is not so good in a subject and quite often the focus is on, oh, well, then we'd better get that grade up. We'd better put all our efforts into the one that's not going well. Whereas actually it would be better to go, okay, that subject, if there is a subject or that activity that you enjoy doing, which maybe has nothing to do with school, is what makes your heart sing. Let's put our energy there and run with that and see what happens with that. Um, the focus- Which I can, I can hear parents palpitating. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, of course, you panic because yeah, yeah. you think, well, maybe I'll let my, if I let my child put so much energy into something that isn't valued mm. in the educational system, am I letting my child down? Yes, that is a huge problem because a lot of it is based in fear. It's the fear of... Okay, my child, I want my child to be a success in life. But what does that even mean? (laughs) And we kind of tie it into education, grades, diversity, if that's the way they want to go, getting a good job. And the stakes are very high now because there's so many graduates. There's so many, so hard to get into. But there are so many kids that fall out of that, those categories and they're not going to be doing that. And then they end up feeling just that they're not good enough, which is a terrible starting place to start your adult life. The books that I was looking at were things like The Self-Driven Child, The Gift of Failure, Thrivers, and they were all books looking at how you make your child make the most of themselves. And overall, the the message was that grades limit children. For example, psychologist Hara Estroff Morano was saying the best thing to do is to be setting self-determined educational goals, not the ones set by the school curriculum. So in other words, what I did with my daughter, who isn't highly academic and she has some learning difficulties, I said to her, rather than trying to be good at everything, which you're not going to be able to achieve and worrying about whether you're going to get this grade or that grade. Why not, when you're in a class situation, think, what do I find interesting here? You know, whatever the subject is, is there something in this that I can find interesting? And then focus on that. Yeah, Just that. make that your your thing that you're going to explore yeah. and stop panicking about trying to do everything. Yeah, I love that. That's brilliant because it comes back to the whole idea of actually children are hungry to learn. I and mean, we're talking about teenagers, so they're older, but 
they're hungry to learn, they want to learn, but quite often we sort of force it, ram it down their throats very, very early. You know, they start school before they're ready, most of them, particularly the boys, and they're fed up of it. Whereas if you leave them, that's the whole sort of unschooling or the alternative school system. Kids will sit and do nothing and then they'll be like, oh, yeah, but I need to know that and I want to know that. And then they'll learn it in a flash because they want to know. When we shove it down their throats, they go, ah, too much. And then they switch off. So encouraging. I love that you get your daughter to pick out bits that she wants to learn. And then that's interesting and and makes it um, meaningful for her. And that's what a lot of the researchers have found is that stress levels are greatly increased in everybody when they feel that they don't have control over their lives. So when you come to children who feel that they're being forced to do all these activities and all this work, but they don't have any sense that they have control over their what's happening in their lives, the stress levels will be increased dramatically. There's a psychologist called Wendy Grolnick, who's come up in quite a few articles that I've read, as well as her research. And she's an American And she studied autonomy and looked at both supportive and controlling parents. And she found that children who were controlled by their mothers gave up much faster than those who weren't when faced with frustrating situations. And so her attitude is, you know, don't provide the solutions for your teenager until they've had the chance to work things out for themselves. We actually have to be prepared to let them struggle. Yes. And even fail. Even fail. Yes. Would they need to, you know, that can be the best learning board can't it you know you you don't you don't do well oh maybe that's okay maybe that's not the route we want to go down but maybe that's the kick up the bum they need to to reprioritize or or to work out well what do I like doing what what is interesting and how can I get there yes and I I sat down with my daughter again who was finding the whole concept of having to go through years of schooling where she just Mm. is not it doesn't make her shine she doesn't feel like a hero in in her environment and she's there every mm. day i said to her well what what do you want to do and she talked about university and i said well the thing is the path you're on at the moment is not university which was a massive shock to her and because i think we will for some reason everybody's being told nowadays that university is the answer and i said it doesn't mean to say you can't do that but University is for people who really love studying Mm. and who find a subject they absolutely love. So you need to think, are you are you going to enjoy studying? And if you are going to enjoy studying, you need to find the thing you're going to enjoy. And that's your choice. It's not I don't mind. Mm. You know, there are other things. There are all sorts of training programs, which, yeah, which are fantastic. So why not? put them into the the mix that's a consideration yeah we sort of prioritize the idea that you know university is the place to go if you've been at secondary school if you're able to go there and all of that but things have changed so much we don't need that many academics (laughs) no (laughs) we really don't need them or Um, or that many debts no it's so (laughs) unbelievably expensive now i mean my son's college had a talk last night actually about um he's in the lower six about options after after college, which was really interesting. And it's just, you know, university is one option of many. It's it's um there's apprenticeships which are really booming. There's again this sort of hierarchy within within the system which stresses the kids out. And we all know that stress is terrible for everything. <laughs> Long term stress that is. It's interesting because the book The Self Driven Child was saying that you can help your child come to an informed decision on their own rather than acting like a boss. So you kind of need to think of it as being a consultant. They have the ability 
to make good decisions. And again, all of these psychologists say they've done lots of tests on children of different ages and they find that overwhelmingly they will make really good decisions. What they don't know is the information. So actually sitting there with them and saying, so for example, again, coming back to my daughter, I said to her, you know, you don't have to go straight through to university. Take some time out. My friend went and worked in a filling station for two years. Then thought, "Mm, actually, I think I need to do some A-levels. I'm bored. And ended up at Oxford. Yeah. Amazing. Because she had a dip, she just had a different attitude to life yeah. and they, the, the tutors there were fascinated yeah. by her. So the truth is we're not looking. And, and actually, I've spoken to Oxford Dons. All right. So this is the pinnacle that people think of. I've spoken to Oxford Dons who are absolutely infuriated by this. How do I get an A? How do I get a first? Yeah. So they come to the university with the same attitude of how do I get this grade? Yeah. And the, the, the one particular Don I was talking to said, I, I turn to my books on the wall and I say, read the grades, yeah. feel the passion, yeah. come up with interesting ideas. Yeah. This is what we want. But what we're actually teaching our children is it's all about the grades. Yeah, and and also the pressure of talking to teenagers of, you know, what do they want to do? You know, who do they want to be? It's really weird. <laughs> it's almost, you know, we we see childhood and you know, teenage years as a sort of a some sort of stepping stone <laughs> to real life. No, childhood and teenage years is part of life. You know, why don't you just leave them? <laughs> to be in that (laughs) world and stop worrying about what they're going to do and what they want to be. If we can teach our children to be happy with who they are and to be healthy and have good mental health and be comfortable and know what they like, know what makes them light up, they will find what they want to do. And that's a very interesting point because another technique that I read about was helping your child find what it is that they're passionate about. What you need to do as a parent is look at your child and see what is it that they do where they will keep going when it becomes difficult. So if you see them doing things and they just give up as soon as it's tricky, that's probably not their thing. But if they are somebody, for example, in a kitchen and they'll keep going to keep trying to make the thing until it's perfect. okay, that's something that gives them joy. So then you know that this is one of their key, their core loves, their core skills. And you can encourage it by saying, gosh, you know, I noticed that you really enjoy doing that. Mm. And reflect back to them and let the child get to the point where they say, actually, that's a thing for me. It's not because they're good at it. It's because they will persevere when it's difficult. Yeah. And if they don't have a thing, that's also fine. You know, they'll find something they will at some point if they know who they are and if they feel good about themselves. The problem is when they don't feel good about themselves and they have this feeling that, you know, because school, I think, is designed for the good girl who works hard and, and gets good grades. I mean, I will, I was quite like that at school. I got good grades. I found school okay and I did well. So for me, it was kind of fun to get good grades, but they're not designed for everybody. So a lot of people come out of school with a feeling of they don't know what they want to do because everyone's been asking them since the age of 11, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? <laughs> They've no idea. They just want to leave (laughs) and a feeling of actually you know the comparisonitis thing that they're not really good enough so coming back to one of the comments tracy said if you've got any tips on how do i motivate my child to revise for their gcses i'm all ears and it is tricky and i think coming back to the comments made in all these books the pointer was they need to feel that they're in control of this somehow so when they come home rather than saying 
have you done your homework? You say, so what time were you thinking of doing your homework so we can schedule our evening time around it? Mm. Or where were you thinking of doing your homework? Little hints like that. And then create. So what I've done with my daughter, because she finds it very challenging, is I have said to her, right, all your electronic devices need to come in and sit on the kitchen table when you come home. And there was a little bit of pushback on that. But actually, I said to her, this is not a punishment. This is I'm trying to give you space so that you can do the things that you really should be doing, which is, you know, relaxing, doing other stuff. Mm -hmm. When you do your homework, you can do it here at the kitchen table or you can do it in your room. If you do it in your room, you can take your computer with you for half an hour because you're not going to work longer than that. No one does. And then you can come down for a break and then go back again if you need to. And she went away for half an hour. It was a struggle on her own, so came back. And then we sat together. Mm. And actually, it's been transformative because she feels like it her choice. And also because I had said to her, so what actually are you trying to achieve here? Do you want these grades? Does it even matter? Yeah. And because she wants them, she wants to get better. She wants to be in better classes. She wants to be with her friends who are, you know, smart. Yeah. Uh, she is now prepared to put in the that extra work, make the mistakes, yeah. try again, because it's her who's doing it. It's Brilliant. not me. So she's got that motivation from yeah. motivation, sorry, from inside. And I was doing that wrong before. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's hard. I mean, and then if you have a kid who who's not really bothered, <laughs> gets bad grades, but and doesn't care, maybe that's fine. We don't have a, a, a structure with homework. I kind of leave leave it for them to do themselves. Um, and they do it very differently. Like one will do it immediately. They get home from school because they don't want it hanging over them. And the other will be doing it after bedtime. <laughs> um, but the idea that, you know, if they don't do it, then that's on them. Yes. And they do say you have to let your child fail. Yeah. You have to let them fail. But you do need to, you are the person with the knowledge. So in letting them fail, you need to say, so here are the consequences should you fail. Yeah. And they, and they learn them anyway. You know, they'll they'll meet them anyway. <laughs> What one of them was saying was that it's not about not giving them boundaries. You actually do oh, yeah. have to have something they can push back against yeah. and so that they can test their real resolve. Is this something that really matters to me or not? And if it doesn't matter me, to me, I'm making a choice. It's not a passive choice. It's an active choice that this really doesn't matter to me. Yeah. And I don't care if I don't then have this option. Yeah, yeah. So what we need to do is present them with, after all of this, here are your options. So if you don't pass these exams, so what you can do is this, that, you know, these, here are your options and being really positive about yeah. it, not threatening them, just yeah. saying, so you get these options. And if you do, you get these options. And here's how you can manage this life that you're designing for yourself. Yeah. You're in control. You yeah. make those choices. And providing them with a with a safe space, because sometimes that can really stress them out as well, mm. can't it? The yeah. idea that they have all these choices and it's up to them and yikes <laughs> and actually it's not going very well. And now there's this and this and this on top of it. One of my kids did quite didn't do very well in, in some tests. And um I I kind of said to her, you know that I you know that that doesn't matter. So she knows that, you know, that she's absolutely loved and accepted just for who she is, You're whereas so, school is yes. different, you know. You're so right. And that's the other thing is you never, ever connect it to your love for them. Yeah. They need to know that your love is completely disconnected yeah. to anything they manage to do in school, all the mistakes they make. It's irrelevant. Totally irrelevant. Yeah. Totally, totally. And and, and they know that, that you point. value them for exactly who they are and what they bring to the table just by being who they are. Yeah. 
What do you think? Have you found certain things work for you and your teenagers? Join our discussions on Facebook and Instagram or email us at help at teenagersuntangled.com. Now on to Emma's question, which is similar, but... My 14-year-old is very musical, but wants to stop playing the piano now she's grade four. I'm so upset about it because whenever she seems to be good at something, she goes so far, then just gives up and wants to hang out with her friends. What should I do? Susie, Susie, you're the <laughs> big, you're a viola player. You yeah. must have had battles at home yes. over musical instruments. Should we, presumably, your children play musical instruments. Yeah, I mean, they've all played um, and play and as a musician and I teach music um it's such a hard one that I have found that hard probably because it's really close to home because the idea of playing a musical instrument is so it's such a brilliant thing to do both for the fact that you're learning the instrument but it also is such an enriching thing you know however the learning process can be a bit boring sometimes you know it's a little bit homework like you know if you put the work in for the first few years then it becomes more fun and going to practice every time isn't interesting you know I've taught for years and parents will say yeah they don't really want to practice and I'm like well that's not really surprising (laughs) but of course and then where is the line between kind of dragging them up to do the practice because it isn't homework it's not compulsory and and going actually do you know what you don't like it at all do you let's just let it go i have personally found that difficult because um, all of mine have played instruments and have decided that they they didn't want to oh so was, how yeah. oh how did that go down in your household um well <laughs> i mean was it a similar situation yeah i mean my my boys both played the cello and you know had played for a long time and then uh, but didn't want to play anymore and I tried to sort of nudge them along for a long time, you know, try to persuade, you know, just keep going, thinking you could get over that period, which I think the listener is referring to, where they just want to, they don't want to do that. They want they want to hang out with their mates. Cello's really uncool. It's heavy. It's annoying. They didn't seem to always also enjoy the orchestra side, which is what kept me going, I think, because I was in youth orchestras and that was fun. It was social. They didn't seem to enjoy that either. So there wasn't really a carrot um, in that respect but they there were elements they did enjoy so I did try and nudge them over that um, and then they then went okay we're kind of done here aren't we (laughs) ouch (laughs) so it's a really interesting one because I had stepdaughters and I remember my husband having a conversation with the oldest one on the telephone and I was trying to work out what they were talking about and it turned out it was that she was a harp player And she was doing her A-levels and she was finding it really hard to find time to practice and Mm -hmm. to go to the harp lessons. And his response was, well, why are you doing it? And she said, "Um, because I I don't know, because I booked in for them. And and, and he said, what are you gaining from the lessons? And she said, well, nothing, just stress at the moment. And he said, well, just don't do them. Mm. And I thought, whoa, whoa, that was weird. (laughs) And I think it was because he his point was, she's never going to be an international harpist. This is not going to be her career. So if it's not going to be her career, what is she trying to gain from it? And they talk about flow. I'm sure some people are very familiar with the concept. Some people aren't. But flow is that that, that mental stage you get into when you're working in an area that you're fascinated by, um, on a problem that you're fascinated by. And it happens in when you're playing a musical instrument where your mind just 
it, it leaves all the other nonsense behind and you're simply focused on the task. And this is one of the magical things you can get from playing a musical instrument. And it, you will be rewarded with that when you get to a certain stage, which yeah. is what you're talking about, that you want your child to get to. Yeah, it's not you don't get flow until you're technically good enough. Good enough, exactly. And so it is very tricky. But it did actually, you know, it rang true with me. Mm. So my daughter got to a similar stage where she was, she's ever so musical, but she just said, I don't know, I'm just, I'm not loving the exams. I don't really like doing the grades. I don't want it. And I had been trying to get her to practice and it just, it just wasn't happening. And she said, oh, can I give it up? And I said, mm, okay, okay, fine. Okay. And I, I did, I thought, oh, what am I doing here? But I did think about my husband who had given up the piano as well. And when I first met him, the only time he would play the piano was when he was drunk. And I said, <laughs> you'd probably be a lot better at playing the piano if you took lessons and played when you weren't drunk. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, and I re- I know th- the thing is, he comes, his mother was at the Royal Academy. And I think he felt quite intimidated mm. by the importance of getting grades. And her, she's very, very... Um, structured and she wants you know when she goes to a concert she's very critical if they're Mm. not quite right and um, I think that was a real really he struggled with that even though he probably wouldn't want to talk about it and so he started taking lessons and he's now a grade eight he's now taking grade eight yeah and his practice comes and goes sometimes he's really you know works and works and works other times not and then with my my daughter having given it up she then still now we're so lucky obviously i know because we have a piano at home yeah. this is this is an incredible luxury but she still tinkered yeah and she started doing grades again yeah and interesting. her big and grade 6 yeah because all that time she was still fiddling yes. and there were things missing like her sight reading is atrocious yeah. and so she's never going to get grade 6 without improving that sight reading is really hard on the piano. it's really hard. But also, well, I said to her, you know, when you were a little girl, you would go into school every day, you'd come back with these reader books, they were very dull. Mm. And I would make you sit down, you had to read the book, you know, the cats. And, and you don't remember that, because it's just it's boring, and it's Mm. practice, but you were young enough to just get through it, to the point where you could actually you were fluent Mm. enough where it was enjoyable. And you have to do that with sight reading. Yeah. It's literally just forcing yourself to go through the structure. And that's the big problem, which you were talking about. If you can kind of get your, your yeah. child over that. But the truth is what you want is you want them to have something that they can enjoy for their life. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard that from the question. I think it's the hard bit is, is I think once they get to a certain age, so like the harp and the A-levels, then they kind of know whether it's important or not. It's the earlier teen years where, because yes. I know with mine and from teaching as well, I've experienced it many times. And I know I experienced it myself of suddenly other things are more important and you just want to do what your mates are doing. And for my kids, um, particularly one of them, you know, his mates, none of them have anything to do with the music department so it was a bit like oh he's a sporty kid you know they're the sporty guys um so to be dragging a cello on the train and <laughs> having to go to lessons when it's football practice was not cool it's he not just cool. he just wanted to be he just wanted to hang out with his mates and and mm. and and not be having to do orchestra and stuff mm. like that so for him it was very much a social thing mm. um and i think that comes you know with the question of she just wants to hang out with her mates so where do you draw the line? I think it's it's just a conversation you have to have with your kid, you know, try and find out how important is playing. Is there any enjoyment there or is it pure? But also, what is it about hanging out with your mates that means you now can't play an instrument? The truth is, those teenage years are critical in developing some of these social skills. Yeah. So it's not like she's not actually gaining skills, but she's what she's done is she's focusing in a completely new area. Yes. 
And maybe if you actually sit her down and ask her, you know, what it is about being with her friends that's so important, how is there any way that she can fit these other skills in or perhaps just park it and say, yeah. you know, it does give you this joy. Don't forget that. Yeah. Get or the time with your orchestra, friends. Go to an what is social yes. skills. That's, yes. that's what I did. I think otherwise I probably wouldn't have, have carried on. I, I went to lots of youth orchestras as a teenager and we did mm. lots of exciting things. And that was you know, very social. Mm. I don't remember doing a lot of practice, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> she was at the, the, the back the person wasn't quite in time but she was having no, a really no, no, nice time <laughs> but it, you know it's, it's actually relevant because also for example in sport I have a friend whose son was excellent at fencing mm. really really good and he was told by his fencing teacher if you just keep going you could fence for England and then and he just came back and said you know what that's just it just doesn't cut it mm. with my mates they mm. think it's like ballet yeah and I want oh, to get, okay. I want to be a rugby player. Yeah, I want, yeah. I want to get good at that. So he dropped it. Yeah. In spite of the fact he was really good at it to, to focus all his energy on the rugby, because that gave him his social kudos and yeah. he became, you know, the, 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 the guy that everybody wanted to yeah. be around. And we have to sort of, Except sometimes our kids, you know, you may think, oh, but you could be so good at this. Yeah, and you yeah, win definitely. Medals. And accept that this isn't the, the the direction they want to go no. in and they want and this matters much more to them. And I think they do carry on with it. If it's that important, they do carry on with it. And we and we also mustn't sort of belittle the the, the idea of wanting to be with your mates as a kid, as a teenager. Mm. It's it's kind of aligned with survival. It's it's so important that you feel that you fit in and that you have, have a social system that works, for, you know, whatever kind of a child you are, it's really, really key. Um, it does become key. It's one of those, it's, it's pinch point, isn't yeah, it, for yeah. it? Yes. Um, it's not just I want to hang out with my mates. It's actually really important. Yeah. And learning those social yeah. skills, which will help them in the workplace. Yeah. Have you been affected by any of these issues? Do you have a different opinion or any tips for us? You can get in touch using our email, help at teenagersuntangled.com or find our discussion groups on Facebook or Instagram. Next week, we will look at the tricky area of body image and the issues it throws up. And our listener question, whenever I ask my child to do something around the house, he just says, why me? And claims that I don't ask the other kids to do these things. What can I do? In the meantime, if you'd like to learn more about mindfulness, Susie has a course starting in February. You can find details on susieasleymindfulness.co.uk. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Speak to you next time. Bye.